San Antonio was once home to one of the busiest red light districts in the country. But exactly how big was the city's red light district? And how did it get that way? That's what we try to find out in episode one of Running Red Lights. I'm Kathleen Creedon. And I'm Bree Kirkham. This is Running Red Lights, a limited series podcast from Texas Public Radio about the history of sex work in San Antonio. And the women who ran the industry, but who weren't allowed to make history. Edgar Velasquez Rinald researched the historic West Side under the city of San Antonio's Office of Historic Preservation. He showed us where the people of the city's red light district worked and lived. And it's changed quite a bit since then. Not even the streets are the same. Okay, so we are standing on the corner of Nueva Street and Santa Rosa, across the street from the San Antonio Police uh, Department building. And we are essentially just looking at what used to be the sporting district, um, which was San Antonio's red light district. So I'm from San Antonio, and I didn't know anything about our historic red light district. I know of the concept of red light districts. I have a very distinct memory of asking my mom to explain the lyrics of the song Roxanne by the police. So I had like an understanding of what they were, but I didn't know that San Antonio had one. And I especially didn't know because I'm when I think back to the history of San Antonio and Texas that I was taught, it really does center around the independence of Texas, the Battle of the Alamo, and things like that. Definitely nothing about red light districts. And I'm not from San Antonio, so I knew even less about the city's red light district. And honestly, I had never even heard that phrase before, red light district. So when I started doing research about the city's district, some of the same themes kept coming up again and again. And in particular, one name kept reappearing, Fanny Porter. So we decided to start with her. Before we jump in, a quick note about language. Through this series, you'll hear our sources, and sometimes us, refer to prostitution or people who worked in prostitution as a reflection of the industry in that time period. We primarily use the term sex work to acknowledge changes in our language, though the modern understanding of the term includes work like camming, stripping, porn work, and so on. Fanny Porter is the most famous madam in San Antonio's history. We talked to historian Richard Seltzer about her over Zoom. He wrote a one-page chapter on Porter for the Handbook of Texas, which is like a digital encyclopedia for the Texas State Historical Association. And as a madam meant she ran a parlor house or sometimes city directories are referred to as a boarding house. AKA a brothel. When historians want to do research on San Antonio, they often turn to the Sanborn fire insurance maps. They're these old maps that lay out the city and they have brothels marked with the initials FB for female boarding. Not sure if that was a euphemism or that's just what they called them at that time. According to the 1900 census, Fanny Porter's house had six tenants who were all young women. The main thing that makes her stand out is the connection to the Wild Bunch, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Pinkerton Detective Agency sent agents to San Antonio because they were looking for the Wild Bunch. It had been for several years because of robbing banks and trains. Historians believe the Wild Bunch hid from law enforcement at Fanny Porter's brothel. And some of them maybe even dated the women who were working there. 
After the gang dispersed, Porter pretty much disappeared from Bear County records. Some people think that she skipped town, maybe died in a streetcar accident. So we don't know that much about her, and yet she is the most famous madam from San Antonio. Yeah, I would say she's famous by association because people know about the Wild Bunch. There was even a movie starring Paul Newman as Butch Cassidy and Robert Redford as Sundance. Fanny Porter isn't a character in it, but there's this scene where Butch is riding a bicycle in front of a house, and some people think that that house is modeled after Porter's brothel. In real life, after it was Porter's brothel, it became a day nursery and then Father Flanagan's home for boys. Local history advocates were fighting to save it from demolition. It was going through the process with the city to establish a finding of historical significance. The next city council vote was delayed to March 17th, but it caught fire in the middle of the night in late February. San Antonio firefighters were at the site all night and into the next morning, but it couldn't be saved. The little that remained of the structure had to be demolished out of safety concerns. Firefighters ruled the fire as having undetermined or suspicious origins. The building, located at what's now 503 Urban Loop, stood for nearly 150 years. This visual reminder of San Antonio's red light district is now gone. It maybe technically wasn't even in the district. However, some historians think that the district really didn't have boundaries. Let's get into that. How did the red light district get its start? In the late 1800s, cities across the country were charging licensing fees to brothel owners. And the mayor of San Antonio, Brian Callahan, wanted to do the same. So with his encouragement, the city council passed its body house ordinance in 1889. A body house, B-A-W-D-Y, is another way of saying brothel. And a bod, B-A-W-D, is another word for a sex worker, what they would have called someone working in prostitution at the time. So shortly after the body house ordinance is passed, more and more brothels start popping up. We spoke with Jennifer Kane, a history teacher at Sandra Day O'Connor High School in Helotas, who credits the growth of the district to two factors, the rail trail and the servicemen at Fort Sam Houston. We used to have, you know, the electric rails that actually rode into directly to the red light district. And the blue book, of course, was given to the servicemen as they came off of the, you know, off of the rail lines and to direct them right to the red light districts. So, you know, they were definitely the best customers during that time period. Kane wrote her master's thesis on the district when she was at the University of Texas at San Antonio. The blue book she mentions was a sort of directory to some of the brothels in town. We actually bought a copy online. It's like this three-inch by five-inch pamphlet. It fits perfectly in your back pocket. And it was published by a guy named Billy Kelman, a former San Antonio police officer. He owned his own brothel when he was publishing the blue book. It's filled with advertisements for saloons, bars, and body houses. He also includes the so-called boundaries of the district, which he says began just south of Santa Rosa Street. And he gives a block-by-block description of where, he says, quote, the women were compelled to live by law. This area is also where you'll find his brothel. And his brothel is also included in the Blue Book, where it's described as the, quote, 
beauty saloon conducted by Billy Kelman, a safe and sane thirst parlor. One thing to understand about the Blue Book itself and, and Kelman is he's a police officer, so he left being a police officer and he owned his own brothel within the district. And he publishes, actually, he writes in the Blue Book that you know, the prostitutes have to be here. That's the only place that they can be located. And so I think for a long time, a lot of people said, well, that's, there's, it's a legally, you know, area, a segregated area that women have to be at. That's the only place the brothels can be located. And he, of course, had a business reason for that, right? He had a brothel in that area, so he had a reason for doing that. So Kane believes the Blue Book and Kelman are the reason why this myth of an enforced district was perpetuated. I mean, I've read other books and things online that have pretty much copied and pasted from the Blue Book. But the Blue Book is not an official city document. It was just published by some guy, and that doesn't make it true. And there's nothing to fact check it with at this time. There's no Google. There are no other similar resources. But Kane did fact check him. And when she looked at the official body house ordinance and city council minutes, nothing gave boundaries. There were no street names, no neighborhoods where brothels had to be. I don't think there's anything that says that the women had to be here. I don't find anything legally. And so that's really what I kind of worked around was the theory that it wasn't really relegated. It was more a de facto area that women went to. And it kind of just blossomed from there. This de facto area was on the west side of downtown in a Mexican-American neighborhood called Laradito. And it probably wasn't an accident the brothels were concentrated here. The city wanted it separated from more polite forms of tourism. We'll talk about the district's connection to the west side after the break. I went on a little walking tour with Edgar Velasquez Rinald, who interned with San Antonio's Office of Historic Preservation. He helped research this area. There's construction and tow trucks, so bear with me on the audio, please. There was a community here with, you know, families, children were raised here. And this violence and uh, vice businesses were encroached upon their neighborhood. And that was done on purpose by the Anglo elite because vice businesses were lucrative for the city, but they wanted them away from the more proper um, forms of tourism in San Antonio. The San Pedro Creek was an unofficial dividing line back then, both of class and race. And even though San Antonio is much larger today, it's still segregated. I actually talked to Laura hernandez Arisman about that. She teaches U.S. history at Austin Community College and wrote a book titled Inventing the Fiesta City. It's about San Antonio's famous parade-turned-party, which started in 1889, the same year that the Body House Ordinance was passed. I also talked to her outside on a windy day. And of course, San Pedro Creek is such a significant kind of um, social barrier. You know, um, that, that is the kind of dividing line between... Um, a more kind of Anglo-centered, what's becoming a more Anglo-centered downtown and and German-centered downtown and um, uh, Mexican-centered west side. I think we have to mention that Texas Public Radio is literally to the west of the creek. We're right next to it. We can look out the window and see the San Pedro Creek and the progress of the Culture Park, which aims to celebrate the history, culture, and natural qualities of Bear County, according to the project's website. So Hernandez Arisman said that during this time period when the red light district was growing, the west side becomes a sort of tourist destination. But keep in mind, people actually lived here. 
and they were mostly immigrants. And I think that's when you start to see this idea of the West Side as this quote-unquote exotic kind of space, both for, for Anglos who live in the city and also for, for tourists who are coming in. And she explains that those people were mainly visiting to consume, to eat and drink, but also to experience the culture. It seems like the district grew throughout the west side of downtown, and maybe it was even bigger than historians thought. Probably. I mean, there were surely brothels in every part of town, whether the city knew about them or not. But it's impossible to know exactly how big the district was. And here's the funny thing. The city's official ordinance was only in effect for 10 years. Because when a new mayor was elected, he overturned it. But no one really cared, and closures weren't enforced. In fact, the district grew even bigger, largely in part thanks to the military. But they're also responsible for the district's demise. Here's Jennifer Kane again to explain how that played out. After World War I, they had a significant issue with the growth of um, sexually transmitted diseases, and the, and the military was fighting that. Um, quite a bit, and they constantly tried to work with the city to close them down. And, and we don't know, were they reluctant or um, was it just too difficult to control? We don't know. So there was a standoff between the military police and the San Antonio City Police. The military was trying to follow orders and close all of the brothels down, but the city police wouldn't comply. You know, people of authority really kind of overlooking that. The police themselves unwilling to enforce it. The, many of them maybe may have been customers themselves, uh, may have worked in those areas too, you know, off-duty. This led to the accidental shooting and death of a military police officer. I've read several accounts of this, and it's all described in the same way. There's not a lot of detail, but everyone seems to be on the same page that it was an accident. Either way, this shooting and death was the last straw. Essentially, the military gave the city an ultimatum that said, either you do something about this red light district or we leave the city. It would have crushed San Antonio's economy if military men stopped spending money downtown. So the city finally shut down the district in 1941. And that was the end of it. Yeah, that was the official end. Sex work is still happening, but not in an official capacity in that area. You go over to that area now and you see Market Square and hotels and the police department, but not 503 Urban Loop, Fanny Porter's brothel that burned down. This was a crash course on the rise and fall of the red light district. But there are more stories about the women who worked there. That was probably the best story I found, was the story of Amelia Garza. And the fact that I really never figured out what happened to her fully was, was really hard, too. That's on the next episode of Running Red Lights. We'll talk about Amelia Garza, a madam who fought against the city of San Antonio for charging illegal fees to brothel owners. I'm Kathleen Creedon. And I'm Bree Kirkham. This is Running Red Lights a podcast from Texas Public Radio about the history of sex work in San Antonio and the women who ran the industry but who weren't allowed to make history. Editing and production from Dallas Williams. Our graphic was designed by Rob Martinez. Sound design from Jacob Rosati. Our theme song is Mujer Moderna by the band Fea. Dan Katz is our news director. Find transcripts, episodes, and additional reporting at tpr.org slash RRL.